Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Welcome to another interesting episode of Because Money. Today we have back Rob Engen, one of the first co-hosts of Because Money, and writer over at Moomer and Echo and lots of other places. Rob can be found writing in all kinds of uh, venues, including national newspapers, and his own many other sites in addition to Boomer Neko. Rob, how have you been doing? Doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me back. It's, uh, I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> nice. Which is a really non-awkward segue to tell listeners that we're on all the podcast places now. You can see how familiar I am because I say podcast places. Yep. And we would so deeply appreciate any reviews that you could throw our way. That's my plug for the afternoon, evening. In the podcast places. In the podcast places. <laughs> so, Rob, other than being very upset about air miles, what have you been up to this summer? Well, I feel like it has been the summer of air miles. I, uh, I think I wrote that uh, open letter, or first wrote a little bit about what was happening with the program, and uh, that got picked up by CBC. And, and so I think I've been doing, like, I think I did like 20-some interviews, uh, radio interviews on CBC over the summer during my summer vacation. Uh, sorry, Lindsay. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, just kind of back back at it now with, um, uh, you know, full-time day job and still doing the fee-only planning on the side, uh, writing for Boomer and Echo, writing for Rewards Cards Canada, and still writing for the Toronto Stars uh, tablet edition. So uh, lots going on and uh, certainly keeping me busy. Wow. And is your fantasy team keeping you busy? My fantasy team is brutal, just like my real-life uh, team, the sad Cleveland Browns. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I haven't watched a ton of football this year, and I think, and I think that's showing across uh, the NFL's ratings. They're, they're down a lot, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to uh, be one contributing to that, but uh, I blame my 0-8 uh, Browns on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. My household is picking up the slack. Fortunately... I am now excluded. I don't have a fantasy team anymore. And I just feel free. I feel light and wonderful. Did it get pulled from you? No, no. Although that I'm sure was not too far off of the horizon. Like, it was bad. It was not good. You know that. Yeah. How many years did you play, did you play fantasy, Sandy? Uh, I won in 2009. So I played in 2008 oh. and did abysmally. And then I won in 2009. And then I never even came close to the finals ever again. So it was a total fluke. <laughs> That's an unexpected fact. I in all our fantasy talk over the last little bit, I did not know that you had actually engaged in it. You you haven't always been portrayed as a sportsy person. Well, see, I don't like sports and I don't like see, football, but my husband a loves it. Major problem. Major see, problem thought, with the doing well in fantasy, yeah. Right. So I thought that it would be more interesting to watch the football that is on if I was somewhat invested in it and that was successful, but now yes. I don't I'm in terms of time available to invest in things, it, uh, that's low on the list. Let's Fair say enough. that. Mm-hmm. There's, so many players. Just, there's a lot of them. There's too many people to keep track of. I was doing a fantasy hockey league for a while, and it got to the point where I was drafting all the players that were about to retire, and I was like, oh, that guy's great. He's like, he is 40 and barely on the bench. Oh. Yeah, but name recognition, right? Well, exactly. You know, anybody that used to play for the old Jets, I was all into, and then I realized that. You know, yeah, those guys on weren't, way out, right? weren't great anymore. Yeah, yeah. I had Solani for a lot of years. 
um, when I probably shouldn't have. So what you're saying is you were <laughs> drafting based on past performance, not the intrinsic value of the player. That is literally your greatest segue yet. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, really uh, solid. <laughs> so what we're going to do is play fantasy portfolio draft. And I know everyone is super excited. Oh, awesome. Anybody that's ever played a fantasy sport of any kind uh, will know sort of what we're doing. We're going to do a snake draft. So we have, I have pre-selected a roster of potential mutual funds that these three lovely gentlemen are going to be able to draft onto their portfolio. Um, you can, now here's some, one rule that we didn't, uh, didn't talk about. You can just stop at one if you want to. You don't have to have three. There's nine potential funds. Uh, John is putting them up on the screen now. There's nine. Um, <clears throat> if you want to just stop at one, you're free to do so. And if you want to pick up three, that's also fine. So, uh, in the order, in the interest of keeping things fair, I'm thinking of a number between zero and eleven, and whoever is closest gets to pick first. So, John, Rob, you're our guest. Oh yeah, Rob. Oh, rude. Oh well, thanks. First guest is yours. <laughs> I'll go with uh, three. All right. Okay, John. Uh, sorry, I said blurted out two before we let Rob go first. I'll stick with two. <laughs> well, I feel like the safe answer is to go with four. Oh, man, you have watched The Price is Right before. <laughs> but, you know, I'm Here's, just going to go with it. I, I don't know if you can read this. I had pre-written down number one, so John gets to go first. Lucky okay. John. Uh, well, because I am all about the indexing, I'm going to have to pick the TD E-Series Index Fund as my first pick. Okay. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's nice for me to know that that was also what I considered the nicest pick on the board, so I, I feel validated in my heart, which means nothing for my team. Super, super. Before I make, make my selection, can we uh, go over the rules here? Is this a, a one-year uh, or a 20-year time horizon? That's true. Oh, well, that is a very good... No, this is forever. This is your forever, your forever fund. To keep leading. No trades. Okay. That's a so, keeper okay. Oh, precious metals. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the BlackRock <laughs> growth portfolio. Oh, right. Okay. All right. Chris ends your selection for the 2016 draft. I'm going to go with, and can I just say before I, before I pick that I, I was saying to Sandy before how much like actual stress came from like trying to go through these funds before just because, and, and this is something that, you know, you realize people get when they look at funds and they're trying to pick funds and they're trying to go through these things. There's so many different measuring sticks that you're kind of looking at. You're like, Oh, should I look at asset allocation? Should I look at, you know, where the, you know, I'm heavy in financials here and should I look at just the MER? Should I look at, and, and even when you kind of have an idea of what these measuring sticks are, it's amazing how kind of like how complicated it can feel right away, especially when I'm picking in front of other people instead of picking secretly and just having to deal with the financial ramifications. Oh, this feels like an employee benefit seminar, right? I mean, it really does. In front of you and you don't really know what to take and, and uh, Completely. Your, your employer certainly probably can't provide too much advice um, on what it is. So they just say, here's your alphabet soup and go nuts. Have fun. Totally. And then what I think most people do, which is kind of what I did here, is you take a stab at it and then you never look at it again because you're like, uh, I'll just pick that. And it's fine. And look, went up this year. Anyways, my pick is going to be for the um, RBC US index, the currency mutual fund. 
Rachel. Oh, very interesting. I feel like we could have a whole show just about this. We really could. All right, Chris, you get to pick again. Did you know that's how snake traps work? Oh, right. I get that. Yeah. Oh, um, and that's interesting. Okay. I did give this thought before, but I did think that there were four of us picking, so it's kind of off. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to double down on my index world here, and I'm going to go with the Scotia Canadian index. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. I'm not actually just saying words now. Okay. <laughs> I like it. It makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> That's coming back around to me? It is. Uh, okay, so I think the BlackRock portfolio, I just had to look it up because I didn't know what exactly I was investing in, and it looks like it's very heavy Canadian, so I'm going to go with the BMO Emerging Markets. Uh, emerging Market Bond? That's the one? Oh, okay. Bonds. Mm. Oh, I'm, I'm doubling down. We'll take Double that. down. Take it. All okay. right. John? I'll go with the TD Target Return Conservative Series D. The great selections here, whoever picked these up. Sandy. This was, this so, was so Sandy. fascinating. <laughs> I tried to be random, but I just couldn't help with dirt? some of these. No, no, there was there was times I was just actually I could have it could have been a very long list. Let's just put it that way. We're lucky that um, the Golden Opportunities Fund didn't show up. <laughs> okay, John, I think that's you again. Actually, okay. yeah, uh, then I'll go with the top one, the AGF Canadian Asset Allocation. Okay. And Rob, back to you. Well, I'm a two fun guy, so I'm going to stop right there. Oh. Bold. Very Boom. bold. Chris, it's yours. You know what? I think I'm going to I'm going to finish off with uh with the London Life Bond Fund. The Core Bond Fund. The Core Bond Fund. I really do feel like we could spend a lot of time talking about this. It's true. Okay. Oh, no. I just put you into Faith Life Canadian Equity. My apologies. No. Please, no. <laughs> please don't. That's please don't do that. <laughs> that, was, that was very low on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Low-ish. Okay. So, John, you have the TDUS Index E-Series. You've got the TD Canadian – or sorry, TD Target Return Conservative Series, which is a fund of funds. Um, and you have your AGF asset allocation. So two kind of fund of funds and one U.S. index, just kind of total market. Rob, you've got the BlackRock growth portfolio, which is, again, a fund of fund. Like it's, yes, Canadian heavy, but it's got some asset allocation happening in it. And then the emerging markets bonds, which I would be very interested to watch. And Chris, you have the U.S. index currency neutral. So there's some kind of, you know, like currency hedging happening there. You've got the Scotia Canadian index and the London Life core bond. I, I mean, again, I think we could talk about this for a long time. How happy, let's, let's just kind of go through kind of Rob, John, Chris, what, what grade would you give your portfolio? If you really in real life had to have that, how unhappy or happy would you be? <laughs> That's fair. Um, why, don't, why don't we start with John? Sure. I mean, given the uh, constraints of the game here, I'm, I'm not too upset because uh, I've got some funds of funds that are going to be covering that mix of uh, bonds and Canadian equity. Uh, and then the U.S. equity fund, I mean, I don't think there's very much international, but that's there's really no choice there other than 
uh, that emerging market bond fund from what I saw there. So uh, as far as what's available in the slate here, I'm relatively happy. I wouldn't build my own portfolio this way. Like some of these funds have relatively high uh, expense ratios and, you know, trying to figure out what the asset allocation is there because they are funds of funds is just making things complicated. <laughs> Rob, how happy are you? I don't know. I mean, in the 14 seconds, I looked at the uh, holdings of the BlackRock fund. Um, I was hoping that it was a little more diversified than it was, but, uh, you know, I want to keep my expenses low and, uh, you know, I'm really going after those Latin uh, bond markets. So uh, interested to see what happens with some of those higher interest rates. Uh, I don't want to see any defaults happening, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I got a solid B there for sure. Oh, wow. Solid Bs. We like those. Chris, what do you have? Solid B. I don't know if I have a solid B. I've got some elements here, but I, I, not precious metals, I, though. I, I managed to miss out completely on the precious metal mm. category, which is mm. a real problem. I'm low in Latin bonds, so it's <laughs> it's a real problem. Um, I have I have I'm comfortable with my exposure to Canadian equity. I feel like I have an okay tool there, and for U.S. equity, but I have no international kind of anything beyond that. And my bond fund is bad. Like it's not great. Um, I, I like that it, it has, you know, decent quality of bonds, but the expense ratio is high. So it's, it's not the best, but I think right now, since I'm in a growth mode, I'm still telling myself that I'm young. Uh, I was more looking for hedging myself for lots of equity anyways. And so it wouldn't be the best portfolio ever, but it also, like we were talking about before, you know, 14 seconds is probably the amount of time a lot of people spend Picking I'll pick that one that, that they hang on to for 30, 40 years because they never really look at them again, you know? And so, and maybe they spent 14 seconds picking another 30 funds and so that they have their own version of funds of funds. But that idea that, um, that, you know, I'm not too, too, too mad about what, what I got. I, I think it'd be an interesting question before we move on. Cause you're right. We could spend all kinds of time. When you were looking at these funds, what was your kind of like number one thing that you were looking for when you were picking these things? You kind of gave thought or not. What was your kind of like number one, you know what, I'm really looking for a fund that does this, check. Oh, no, I was looking for some kind of egregious offenders. I wanted to make sure there was a couple of those. I think we succeeded. Mm -hmm. We succeeded. Um, and I wanted to have some fund of funds. I wanted to actually have uh, like some legitimate kind of building blocks to cover some of the asset allocation sleeves that we would want to cover. So I, I wasn't looking for like specifics for each fund. And actually, this might be a good spot since I said the magic word specific. I feel like confetti should come down that we are not giving specific investment advice. That was not any of oh. us saying, oh, definitely invest in the Latin bonds. Something, something. Yeah, Latin bonds. <laughs> this is not an endorsement of Latin bonds. You do. <laughs> Unless they do really well, in which case, Rob called it, you put a pin in it, this, this was the day. <laughs> you heard it right here, because money, folks, on all the podcast first things. Time. First time. So, you know, well, Rob... As, as commissioner of our, first, uh, of our first fantasy draft, are you proud of us? Do you feel like we drafted good portfolios? I'm so proud of my boys. I crave your approval. <laughs> Oh, you had it months ago. Gold stars for everyone. Oh, fantastic. All right. You may now segue. No, I may now segue. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, Rob, we wanted to have you on the show because we miss you. And a lot of the viewers, we have had very specific 
by name requests to have that Rob Engen back on the show. Was that my mom? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. No, her name was Chrissy. She gave us a glowing review on iTunes. If I can plug the iTunes review again, she's just, she seems to be an all around nice gal. Um, That's one of the podcast places. That's one of the podcast places. (laughs) Um, But we wanted to have you on specifically because we were wondering, we were talking a little bit about the concept of somebody having a personal economy or a family having a personal economy as opposed to like your own kind of set of risks and kind of trends as opposed to what might be happening in the greater economy. And we thought that actually a very good place to talk about that concept might be, might be, might be, Alberta, because of course it's kind of the, if anybody in Canada, or probably not anywhere else, frankly, but if anybody in Canada is thinking about or reading about Alberta, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh gee, I wonder what's happening because I assume it's really terrible there and everybody is kind of in fear for their jobs and their homes and whatever because of what's happening with oil prices, etc. So I'm wondering, because you are in a very good position to be getting, and people question you all the time, you in your fee-only practice and then also in the blog comments, Have you noticed a change in the type of questions or concerns that people have, like from three or two years ago to now? I I think so. I mean, you got when you talk about Alberta, they really dealt with kind of the, I'd say, the trifecta of issues. And one, of course, the slumping oil prices, um, you know, put a lot of people out of work and uh, or reduced a lot of hours. Uh, There's not as many projects happening in the up in the oil sands in uh, in the Fort McMurray area. And then you have uh, the election. I mean, that was a, a huge thing, the provincial election. So we switched from a conservative government for years and years and years, decades even, uh, into this NDP government and what that is going to mean now. So everyone was kind of on pins and needles. What does this mean for, just like you said, our personal economy, our ta- you know, NDP's policies, are our taxes going to go up? Um, and then you had the federal election with the Liberals coming in and, and introducing um, new programs such as the uh, child tax benefit. Um, but also, again, kind of leaning on that, uh, those, those top kind of five to one to 5% earners um, and, and increasing some taxes there. So uh, a lot kind of going on in the last couple of years, but, you know, for the, to answer your question, I guess, specifically, what are they asking about? I mean, um, we talked kind of offline earlier about this, Sandy, and it was more about the questions like, uh, you know, questions I used to get was, you know, can I afford to upgrade my house, um, get this second car loan, and my wife's going to go on maternity leave, we're going to have another baby, like, can we make this all work? And, um, and the questions are very different now, because just the economy has changed. Um, uh, people are very hesitant. So I had a, actually had someone just uh, recently move from uh, Vancouver area to Calgary. And, you know, rather than buying right away, which I think a lot of people would have done in that kind of boom environment, um, you know, they're really, uh, you know, tempered their expectations of the housing market there, um, took a six month lease just to, you know, kind of look around the area before they bought into anything, just really kind of feeling out the market. So a lot of, um, you know, definitely a little more conservative uh, happening right now. Um, definitely asking a lot more questions rather than jumping into, um, you know, upgrading the house, getting the second car loan or truck loan and uh, buying, you know, some other luxury toys or something like that. Um, you know, it's definitely more back down to the basics. Can I afford this? And on the other end of the spectrum is people who are, 
um, closer to retirement age, so they're in the 57 to 62 years old, um, at the most risk of losing their jobs in terms of, you know, job uh, uh, projects are shutting down. These are probably the most highly paid workers and time to transition them to retirement. So probably getting transitioned earlier than they expected. And they're wanting to know, can I afford to retire for one? And, you know, should I get out of this market and, and move somewhere else or retire somewhere else into, you know, up the quality of life and whatnot. So definitely a lot has changed in the last couple of years. And it's been certainly interesting to uh, hear those questions. Hmm. Um, would you say that your answers are different now, too? Like, just personally, would you say that you've been sort of changed by what's been happening? I don't know me mean, like... Personally, it, like I live in Lethbridge, it's two hours south of Calgary, and it's probably the only market in Alberta that's not, it doesn't have a real direct tie to the oil and gas. So it's very public sector driven. The top employers are, you know, the cities, the university, the college, the health region. And um, so it's not as affected. But um, that said, we are in a recession. Uh, in the province, and that's affected public sector because uh, we're not getting the funding from the government because they don't have the money. And so, you know, personally, I haven't had a raise in four years at my day job, and a lot of people are feeling that as well. So, for the last four or five years, personally, I, I think I've been a lot more conservative um, in my personal budget um, and, and, and expectations, and I certainly um would convey that to clients as well like um you know rather than just saying yeah jump into this loan or this investment or whatever i'm really conscious of keeping some cash on hand just to kind of just to make sure everything's okay um you know as many uh, people in the personal finance blogging community are hit and miss on the on the emergency fund but um you know r really having access to cash or a line of credit or something you really you don't want to tie up all your assets in either investments or uh, debt repayments because you just never know what's going to happen with the, with the economy and the job market. Hmm. Hmm. Would you say that, um, job market and your own personal health. <laughs> well, right. Emergency funds are more than just, you know, you lost your job because of downsizing or getting transitioned out. Right, John, you have a good story for that. Yeah, that's a story for another day. Yeah, indeed. Well, personal, so short of, I keep, sorry, I just feel like I've just blathered on now, but kind of short of going back in time and telling people who may have been making kind of enthusiastic choices when times were good, kind of short of telling them, well, go back in time and make different choices, is there do you find that there's a trend in the kind of stuff you're telling people now, again, that, that kind of slice of people who have, as I said, kind of been enthusiastic in the past and maybe are, that's kind of catching up with them. I think the advice changes in the, in the time frame. Like, so right now people know that the economy is slumping and, um, and so they, I, I think in their head, they know that they're, you know, uh, they could make more conservative choices. Um, but try telling that to someone five years ago when oil was booming and they just got their, you know, they're 25 to 30 years old, just got a six figure job, uh, you know, sales job in Calgary or something like that. And, you know, they've got money to burn. So it's new car, it's new house, bigger than they, than they need. Um, and, and try telling them that when times are not as good, 
they're not going to hire, your company's not going to hire six of you making $100,000. They're going to have three of you, right, mm -hmm. or two of you. And people just don't, like, they don't, they don't want, either don't want to wrap their head around that or they just don't believe it. You know, they only see the trend is going up. It's just like the stock market now. It's just been on a roller coaster ride, or sorry, it's just been going uh, upwards and people forget. I mean, I'm not saying that it's going to go back to 2008, 50% uh, crash, but, um, you know, the bull market won't last forever. And so people who think, you know, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm a great do-it-yourself investor. Look at my returns while well, you've never really dealt with a, a bear market. So how can you say that? And so I think just people see the trends and they don't want to believe it's going to stop. Hmm. It's true. And I, you're completely right, Rob. And, and I think that the truth is too, you talked about that kind of 25 to 30 demographic. For a lot of things, those people just haven't seen it yet. You know, they, they honestly just, you know, I, we, they might have seen things happen in 2008, but depending on what their experience with that, if they weren't in the job market, depending what their parents did, depending what their personal economy kind of was, there's just things that they haven't seen. I get this all the time when I talk to people about interest rates. You know, it's 30 years old, haven't seen high interest rates. We've mm -hmm. had low interest rates forever. And so it's really, it's one thing to see, um, kind of in front of you, you can see the math or have somebody explain it to you and, and you can understand that, you know, but to really kind of internalize, I think it takes a moment when your private economy kind of crashes a little bit or you have this experience and you go, okay, I understand that when things get tough, I personally and my economy need this because it's, these, right? We talk about emergency funds. We talk about, um, you know, even kind of like that transitional zone into retirement. There's kind of ways that you can protect against risk and things like that. There's tools, but then there's a personal situation. And the truth is, is, you know, what's conservative for me when things get tough may not be what's conservative for you when things get tough. That's, that's a learned behavior and a learned mode to say, okay, I know that when things are bad and maybe I lose my job for a while, I can live, I can get down to that squished conservative mode. But until you're kind of, I don't know, I don't know. Is there a way that you can um, really communicate that kind of thing to somebody who hasn't experienced it? I'm not sure. Um, no, I agree. I think you, I think you have to go through it or have you know, someone very close to you go through it to, until you take stock of your own situation yeah. and your own finances and really kind of buckle down. I mean, it took me to the, and I think a lot of bloggers or people who talk a lot about money are the same way. Like it took me down to a, a real breaking point with debt or with, uh, yeah. you know, certain situations to say like, you know, really, holy shit, I, I gotta, I've got to get a handle on this and get serious about it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like those studies that, that have come out about um, testing people's risk tolerance. You know, the, the standard, like, when do you need the money and what sort of market fluctuations could you bear that you're taking in a calm environment across from a desk. You probably took some time off work to go in. Your answers are probably going to be pretty different than they would be if someone sort of punched you in the face and then asked you the same things. <laughs> like, so you don't, yeah, you can't. It's, I heard that's part of CRM3. Right, face punching. <laughs> As Coming long as it can go both ways across the desk, I'm, a fi I'm in favor. Oh, oh, we do not advocate violence on this show, Chris. <laughs> oh, the pacifist says, I agree, but... <laughs> <laughs> but then there's I mean, the faith. True, the, the risk tolerance. And, that, you know, so going kind of to, you know, topical 
what's happening in the markets with the stress test for the mortgage. I mean, everyone, everyone in the housing industry is all up in arms, like you're going to cripple the mortgage industry, but shouldn't we be doing this anyways? Like, shouldn't we be having this kind of stress test on interest rates and whatnot? Not only in your own personal way, you know, yes, the banker is going to say you can afford this, but personally, I'm going to go off to the side and do some quick back of the napkin math and, and say, you know, no, this is truly what I can afford. But now it's being applied right at, uh, right at the table. Um, yeah, I think it just—it's just common sense, and uh, you know we just haven't been doing this for forever. It's—it's it's such a tricky thing because common sense, when it becomes common, is so clear. But before, before it is, it, it really couldn't be farther. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's so hard to actually associate with, and it's—it's it's, you're completely right, and I, I agree. Anything that you can kind of, and it and it works with this idea of public and and private economy. Because it's, it's whatever you can do to say, look, it doesn't matter what the best thing in the market is. It's what actually is the best thing for your private economy. And that takes going with your napkin and just saying, okay, these are my numbers and this is how I live my life. And I know that I always do that. And so how can I balance that bad behavior, which I'm probably not going to fix with my tool and kind of getting the right alchemy. And that's a hard thing to legislate. And it's a hard thing to, you know, guide somebody through um, if they're like we've been talking about, if they don't kind of feel that the, there's a certain amount of work that, that everybody, and, and you're completely right, you know, that's your story is, is, is like mine, you know, going through kind of <laughs> changing when you had to change and, and only recognizing these kind of things when you're kind of right up against them. But I think that within that context, um, are involved in the financial conversation in Canada um, to kind of always remember, and I, I believe this how we've been talking about it, but with these big things that happen, kind of looking at it with a, with a huge heaping scoop, scoop of empathy and just kind of being like, you know, people do get caught in situations where if you looked at it on a sheet, you would say, oh, how could that possibly have happened? You, you know, these things and it was so clear and you had the options, but it's like, it's never like that. And it's, and it's, it's hard, you know, even if they had, people had the opportunities. I had so many opportunities to learn about money before I just didn't and didn't and didn't and didn't. Um, especially when something, such, such a game changer happens, like your private economy spills out and there's big factors that, that actually influence it. Just to remember that, like we've been talking about, it's, 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 um, it takes stress to make the stress tests really mean something. Yeah. Like I say every time, boy, I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're coming up at, to the end. And here is the uh, me doing a really, really bad segue to John to do the unnamed segment. I'm sorry, I'm going to cover my face in embarrassment with how bad that was. It was bad on several levels. I mean, first of all... I was supposed to throw it to you so that you could say what you were reading this week. Uh, just to add to the last thought before we segue away, I mean, one of the things you guys were talking about was, you know, personal experience and learning this sort of the hard way, as it were. And, I mean, I don't know what the solution is because financial education and uh, as we're recording this, Financial Literacy Month is just starting. I'm not quite sure what the air date is scheduled for at this point, but I think it'll still be Financial Literacy Month when you get to hear this. And that helps to some extent, but... Um, 
blogs, I think, help to some extent because then you get to hear the anecdotes. You get to hear other people's experiences, which might work for some people a bit better than the data because we need to learn this not the hard way, <laughs> like from other uh, people's experience and from the evidence and from uh, just math and statistics. Like, you know, we should be testing for higher interest rates before giving people yeah. mortgages. You should be yeah. preparing an emergency fund in case you lose your job or you have to take some time off for health reasons yeah. or uh, what have you because these things may happen and by the time they happen to you, it's really tough to dig out. So lots of people learn as students with student debt and that's sort of the most benign it gets and even that's no fun. I mean, you only yeah. get one life. Some of this stuff you got to learn proactively rather than uh, by experience in the hard way. I mean, it's hard to learn the hard way, right? I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, just look at people who go down to the States and don't have travel insurance and have a major health event and are six figures in debt and you hear the stories all the time, right, in the national yeah. news. And do we buy travel insurance still? I mean, I, I've been down to the States uh, and, and not purchased it before. Yeah. Um, so we still don't. Uh, you know, we still don't learn, I guess, from the, from those hard lessons because why do we think it won't happen to me? Yeah, I think that both of you have provided an excellent balance to my, you know, empathy first, artsy fartsy kind of look because it, it is both sides of it, right? You know, and it's it you're completely right. You can't just wait for bad things to happen and then you can't wait to have a lesson forced upon you. There's just you're going to end up in a lot of trouble if that's the life strategy, and and you're completely right that we need to look at these issues from lots of different ways. And I think that honestly you can find these kind of um, panic monster moments um, in your life already without waiting for a bigger problem. If you dig into it a little bit more, you know, you can dig into the fact that your little bit of debt is actually a way bigger deal than you think it is. When you kind of just flip back the page, you can find some emergency type things before they get forced into your face and become massive emergencies and maybe there's, that's where some of the middle ground is and, and that's where some of these stories can help people kind of figure out some areas that are actually putting more pressure on them than they think. Okay. Now to segue into the other segment, <laughs> what have you guys been reading this week? I haven't read anything for reasons, but how about you, Sandy? I read something by Kate Flanders, who we all know is super, we've had on the show before. Um, and she just came back from a very long road trip that she had planned for for a long time. And she was talking about in a post that she, when I emailed her about it, said like it took, uh, I was kind of scared to push the button on that. She was talking about um, being a minimalist is a privilege. It's not actually, the post isn't called that. It's called something else. But I actually just want to read a little, just a bit segment out of it. She said, whenever I thought about consuming a lot of something, stuff, alcohol, food, etc., it's because another part of my life was lacking and it seemed easier to fill that void with something else rather than deal with whatever was really going on. Um, and how it's a privilege to be able to say, oh, I'm going to declutter and here's how to go kind of through a minimalist beauty routine or something like that. Um, uh, there's two kind of thoughts happening at the same time, but I thought that it was really beautifully written and very, as Kate is always able to do, very empathetically kind of presented. So it wasn't just kind of a, a lecture. I, I thought everybody, it's required reading, I think. Chris? I, um, I've read a couple of things, and they're all kind of tangentially related to money. Um, the one thing that I just thought about when I mentioned the panic monster was a great TED talk that I just watched about procrastination. 
which has awesome illustrations, including one of a panic monster, which is really great and made me think a lot about. Um, it also has an irrational thought monkey. Um, it's just really awesome, but it, it's kind of linked into all the things that we do to not deal with the things that we know rationally we should deal with, which I think is something that very much can have to do with money. The other thing that, just because it's right on my brain today, um, and I, I sent it out to people, but I read a season to kind of put our sports uh, cycle into, uh, to come full circle in the sports analogies. Um, and a, a, a great player just retired named Ray Allen, and he just talked about what it takes to be great. And he used the terms boring little habits. And he talked about how all the great players that he's ever played with got there the same way. It's just boring little habits. And I think that that's so, so apt to um, how you get good with money. You know, it's not about picking the, you know, it's not about picking everything the best way and having all the things. It's, it's the boring base habits. Um, and uh, I liked it. Go boring. Great. So that uh, TED Talk builds on a couple of great posts over at Wait But Why, and I can't remember the fellow's name, but uh, he's the one that went and gave the TED Talk. So Rob, did we warn you that this was coming up? I know I forgot to, but hopefully the others did. No, that's okay. So I'm, uh, I'm actually reading a book right now. It's uh, by Warren McKenzie, and it's uh, from Wayhouse. Uh, he comments a lot on the financial facelifts, uh, uh, I think at the Financial Post. And... Uh, it's called Zen and the Art of Wealth, and uh, it's really interesting. It's uh, you know kind of one of those stories that uh, you know a couple guys get together. One's having a struggling, has a struggling business, has a decision to make, goes out into goes out to his buddies who lives out in a cabin somewhere, and they're they're building a rock wall and just kind of forgetting all their problems and, and just talking about are these problems really like the light, you know um, you know a, a real like, is, it, is this really life or death or, you know, is it just a, a situation that you need to deal with? And just really interesting perspectives. And then he offers some really great tips at the end uh, when he actually puts the money hat on versus the story and uh, very common sense about, you know, keeping fees low and really simplifying your finances. So uh, highly recommend that one. I don't know that it's uh, made a major push out into the uh, mainstream yet, but uh, I'd watch for that one Zen in the Art of Wealth. Awesome. Great. That's fantastic. Well, thanks for coming out, Rob. And uh, as everyone, as usual, Sandy and Chris, thanks for another great episode. And I hope everyone out there listening enjoyed this one. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.